Well, welcome. I'm glad you're here with us as well. And today is a very unique, special, special time. Uh, Today is going to be a service of revival and healing. Healing and revival. We're going to talk about what that actually means. And I want to start with a uh, little talk um, before we actually get into the actual message. The message is going to be in Mark chapter 5. But before we get to Mark chapter 5, I want to start with James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. So just check this out with me. Let's just read this together. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Now, those of you who don't know me very well, and even some of you who do know me well, you probably get the vibe right away that I'm what's called low church. I don't know if you know that. (laughs) Kind of a badge of honor, I guess. Come as you are, Protestant, Bible-believing guy. Just a regular dude. And most of you come from that same cloth. We're all cut from that same cloth, many of us. And so maybe you're like me where you're naturally suspicious of anything that smacks of religious ritualism. Prayer beads, nah, pass. I'll just stick with corporate prayer in the church and private prayer that Jesus commands us in Matthew 6. How about candles and incense? Again, I'll take plain preaching and congregational singing like the wonderful singing we just did over any kind of contrived candles are going to make it more special. Now look, I love candles, but I don't need it to be a priority in my prayer. I've had candles around when we've been praying, and I'm not saying it doesn't enhance it, but let's be honest, we don't need the candles to pray. Do you follow? So when asked whether we should anoint the sick with oil, i got to confess my reflex used to be to resist this idea. For someone in my theological shoes, putting oil on someone just felt weird. But here's the thing. True, faithful, biblical theology isn't an exercise in following feelings or intuitions. It's a matter of submitting to Scripture wherever it might lead. In this case, Scripture directly addresses whether we should anoint the sick with oil. If any of you is sick, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. So I want to ask four questions about this passage just so we can get this foundation before we get into the real message today, the, the, the full message today. And I don't, I don't have any intention of trying to do any, you know, turning over every theological stone here. I, I don't. I just want to simply ask the question, and as the word is given to us, the principles that I follow and that most good biblical people follow is that you let the clearer parts of Scripture guide and constrain our interpretations of more difficult passages like this one. So let me break it down into four questions for you, and I'll have them on the screen for you. Question number one, should we apply this passage to every sickness? 
James is not suggesting you get on the phone with the elders and ask them to break out the oil every time seasonal allergies hit, okay? The sick person in the text has to call for the elders. This kind of suggests that maybe they're not able to actually do what they used to do. They can't really, like, go where they used to go. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a description that the illness is probably severe. Question number two, why should the sick call on the elders? I mean, pragmatically, calling your elders to pray for you in a time of sickness puts your needs not only before them, but also before, likely, the whole congregation. You guys call me pastor, but biblically, I am nothing more than just an elder. And I have co-elders that serve with me, biblically. As shepherds of your church, we all have different roles and responsibilities. But the elders are best suited to know how to care for you according to Scripture. How you express your needs to the church and how to minister the hope of the gospel, that comes first and foremost from a leadership team, an elder board, whatever you want to call it. Now, I'm testifying to you this morning that that's what we have here at Fresh Encounter Church. I cannot testify to what it was like two years ago, five years ago, or ten years ago, but I can testify that today our elders at Fresh Encounter Church are worthy to serve you because we are linked in unity and prayer. Bada bing, bada boom. That's what it is. And at the end of verse 16... It may provide another little clue as to why the sick should call on their elders to pray for them. In that verse, James teaches that the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. And given the qualifications for the elders in the Bible and their responsibility to model godliness to the congregation, you should invite your elders. You should invite their participation. It's one of the most biblically godly things you can do. And there's no magic in it. There's not going to be any abracadabra. It's just we're trusting God. We're trusting God for healing, for restoration, and for revival. Now, James indicates that the sick man in this context initiates contacts with the elders and asks for prayer and anointing. These are acts of faith and humility on the part of the sick. Expressions of humble reliance on a God who holds power over life and death. This is When you're calling on the elders and with the anointing of oil, you're saying, God, I'm putting all my trust in you. That's what's happening here. Question number three, what's the deal with the oil? James' mention of oil is certainly one of the most mysterious parts of the passage. But I want to rule out what the oil doesn't mean. I want to be very clear on this. James is not teaching the Roman Catholic doctrine of extreme unction. He nowhere indicates that we should see anointing the sick with oil as a sacrament. What we're going to do later today in this this service is not issuing a sacrament. Also, the use of oil in this passage is not to prepare the sick for death, but it is connected to the prayers that look for healing and restoration. Does that make sense? And if you listen closely today, I'm going to show you that healing is as much spiritual as it is physical. We're talking about the spiritual healing as much as the physical healing. Second, James is not suggesting that the oil bears any magical or supernatural ability. The the healing results from the elders praying in the name of the Lord. The oil is secondary into the passage. It's supported by the central act of prayer. 
It is our, now listen now, it is our humble expression of dependence on Jesus Christ for all things, particularly our health. Finally, the oil in this passage is not medicinal, it's not medicine, as some commentators suggest. While that's kind of intriguing, there's no evidence in this text that oil should be read as a stand-in for medicine. In fact, Mark chapter 6, verse 13 is the only other time we find oil in connection with healing. And that issue that's described there, you cannot, you cannot miss it. That was a supernatural thing that had nothing to do with the oil. So what's the point then? Why anoint with oil? Well, I believe anointing with oil symbolizes consecration to God as it often does elsewhere in the Bible. Anointing with oil is a physical act expressing a spiritual truth. We belong to God, and we have committed ourselves wholly into his care. Have you submitted yourself all the way into his care? Prayer expresses this point with words, and anointing with oil expresses that point in action. Last question on the pre-sermon today. Does this passage promise those anointed with uh, will be healed without exception as long as they have enough faith? The beginning of verse 15 seems to suggest that prayers of faith inevitably result in physical healing. Look, that interpretation doesn't really jibe with reality. Godliness is no guarantee of physical health, nor can it perpetually deter death. Hebrews 9.27 says this. Let's look at it. It says, And just as each person is destined to die once, after that comes the judgment. Statistics are still the facts. Ten out of ten die. Now, furthermore, I think Paul was one of the most faith-filled Christians ever. And he had to leave a dude named Trophimus. He had to leave him sick in uh, Miletus. That's in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. So if Paul had to leave a dude sick and he had the faith, what, what, are, we, what are we talking about here? What's going on is James is reminding us that prayer that pleases God springs from a living faith he describes in chapter 2. And on such occasion, God uses faith-filled prayers as a means through which he heals the sick. Praying in faith isn't a magic formula that twists God's arm into doing what we want. Rather, praying in faith boldly asks God to heal a sick brother or sister and humbly trust God's perfect plan, a plan that culminates with Christ saving and raising up all of his people in the resurrection. So what is it then? It's a humble reliance on God's mercy and God's sovereignty. I would be remiss if I didn't share a story that's really close to my family's heart, and that is 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago now, 10 and a half years ago. My brother-in-law, Ken, had stage 4 cancer. There's another guy named Gary that had the same stage 4 cancer. They had 150 kids in a private school where my nephew Sam went, Christian school, and so they got together and they laid hands on and prayed for these two men for healing. My brother-in-law had faith for his healing in Jesus all the way up until the day he died. What happened was that Gary got healed. Six months ago, Gary rode his bike in some sort of bike marathon thing. Totally healed. And Ken passed away. 
a few months later, six months later. And you want to know what spiritual abuse looks like? It's when people who claim they know Jesus tell you if you just had enough faith, Ken, you'd be healed. That's what spiritual, uh, that's what spiritual abuse is. What Ken would tell you and what he told all of us during his illness is that God was strong enough to heal him at any minute if he wanted to and he was going to believe that God was going to heal him and he believed that all the way up until he went into hospice care and couldn't talk anymore and passed away two days later. He said, I'm not home yet, but I'm still going to press in. If you have something in your life and it's not being healed right now, still press in. Seek the heart of God. What my sister told me was that he refused to bow to the illness. He would bow to God. He would bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did one die and the other live? Same diagnosis, same age, both non-smokers, both athletic, both with the same cancer. We don't know. But I will tell you this. Each one of us has a day when we're supposed to die. God lets us know that, that our days are numbered. We can shorten those days by being really stupid and putting God to the test. But God knows our days before we take our first, first breath. Seek the heart of God. Do not bow to the illness. Bow to the Lord. So humble reliance on God's mercy. On the one hand, God doesn't command Christians to seek out every sick brother and sister and anoint them. But if someone seriously ill is desiring healing, then yes, one way they can express their wholehearted reliance and submission to God is by asking righteous believers to intercede for them and symbolize their commitment to the Lord by being anointed with oil, which is what we're going to do at the end of the service today, biblically and appropriately. So let's get into our text today. and there, It's Mark chapter 5 and let me, let me just share with you, we could have done 20 different stories here, 20 different ones, but I want you to see what's going on with this particular story because I think it'll really help us. And again, this is about revival and healing. You may not have any illness right now, but spiritually you might be sick as a dog. And I want to have this touch everyone that needs it, okay? So I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to do Mark 5, 24 through 34. I read in Jesus' name. Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone off from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then a frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, let these be your words to your children now. Strengthen us. We need that today. In your name we pray. Amen. Be seated, please. Thank you for uh, putting up with my James chapter 5 because I really wanted to get that off my chest. I feel so much better now. Mark chapter 5, though, is brimming with impossible cases. This chapter has been called the Bible home for incurables. There are three cases given in the chapter which are absolutely, humanly speaking, hopeless and impossible. First, you get the demonic man. Now, Then you get this diseased woman, which we just read to you. And then coming after that is the dead girl. All three of these cases were considered impossible in the Lord's day, and they still are in our own day as well. But as you move through the events of the fifth chapter of Mark, you discover that Jesus is more than adequate in every situation. Don't miss that. Jesus is more than adequate for every situation. There are no incurables with him. In every circumstance mentioned, we see that Jesus was more than enough. And as Jesus was moving along, the peeps are all pressing in on him, all around him in that crowd. All of a sudden, here comes this weak, timid, dying woman who reached out and touched Jesus Christ. And when she did, her life was transformed. There are those of you in this church today and that are watching online who need to reach out and touch Jesus. You need a transformation in your life and you can have it if only you will reach and touch him. And I'm talking spiritually as well as physically. I want to look at it together. Three points. Let's start with number one. The agony and misery she suffered. Verse 24 through 26. I mean, we're told that she suffered from an issue of blood. This literally means she was hemorrhaging, bleeding, some part of her body. Whatever may have caused this internal hemorrhage, she was a very sick woman. And this constant condition such as this would have caused untold suffering. I want to just take a moment and just kind of explain what I've learned about this. She suffered physically, obviously. Duh, it's right there. But think about it now, this constant loss of blood. The poor woman would have been weak and anemic. She would have been probably pale, right? She would have had no energy at all, and the least of efforts would have worn her out. She would have been a weak, pathetic creature. The words terrible condition in the uh, NLT that I use today, you know what it's called in other translations? It's called plague. That word is actually translated as whip. Her disease was whipping her. It was like a scourge constantly beating her down day after day. We are told that she tried all the remedies of the physicians of her day, and we are told that she suffered under their care. Ever want to know what that looks like? She suffered because those doctors weren't doctors. She suffered because they were a bunch of quacks trying out one superstitious remedy after another. I found those remedies. It's written by a guy named Rabbi Yochman. And Rabbi Yochman lived 30 AD to 90 AD, so he's right in this time, yes? This is what he wrote. Just stay with me. He says... Take of gum Alexandria, of alum, and of crocus hortentus, the weight of a zuzi each. I can't find what a zuzi is, but I'm going with it. Let them be bruised together and given in wine to the woman that hath the issue of blood. But if this fail, take the Persian onion nine log, boil them in wine, and give it to her to drink, and say, Arise from thy flux. 
But should this fail, set her in a place where two ways meet and let her hold a cup of wine in her hand and let someone come from behind and affrighten her and say, arise from thy flux. She doesn't have the hiccups, dude. But should this fail, take a handful of cumin and a handful of crocus and a handful of fennel Greek, let these be boiled and given to her to drink and say, arise from thy flux. But should this fail, Dig seven trenches and burn them in some cuttings of vine, not yet aged. That means vines that were not yet four years old. And let her take in her hand a cup of wine. Let her be led from this trench and set down over that. And then let her be removed from that and set down over another. And in each removal, say to her, arise from thy flux. I think it would be hard for us to imagine the kind of indignities that these so-called doctors put her through. And I want you to get a picture of where this woman is. Because when you get done with your sin, you will be as just ready to reach out and touch Jesus as she was physically. Because she also suffered socially, emotionally, and financially. Socially, she could not be married, and she had trouble being in public because of the clean culture. She would defile anybody that she came in contact with. So this would reduce her to a life of begging for scraps from a distance, and she was on the fringes of society. Can you imagine emotionally what that would do to a person? Since the Bible says she's been that way for 12 years, considering the average lifespan in that day, you can assume she's been this way since a young adult, right? And she has lived her life moving from one rejection to another. She is lonely, isolated, and desperate. And the Bible tells us she had spent all she had. The hacks and quacks and their useless remedies had not helped her. All they had done is drained her bank account dry, and she was left penniless and destitute. Now, after all the years, all the doctors, all the time she had hoped this remedy would be the one that would work for her, she came to the place where she knows she is living under a death sentence. She will not get better. She will die from this disease. What she has will kill her. Her life is literally draining out of her body little by little, day by day. I have no doubt she has to have just about been at the point of giving up. I wonder how many of you can identify with her today. Maybe you don't have her illness, but like her, you're filled with suffering and sorrow today. I think she paints the picture of two people in our culture Two different types of people. Number one, this woman paints a clear picture of every person who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior. You see, the lost are also defiled by a blood disease. They inherited this disease from Adam. This is a condition that has plagued the lost person since he or she entered this world. It is a condition that's made no better by all the attempts and efforts from the sinner. Many lost people spend their youth and even their entire lives searching for meaning to help that condition. But instead of getting better, it only gets worse, right? They only get harder in their hearts and more deeply rooted in their sins. All the efforts at self-improvement and religion will not help that condition. Poor woman was in sad shape, but she wasn't even close to being as bad off as that person who was not saved by grace. I mean, she's merely headed to the grave. The people that don't know Jesus, they're headed to an eternity in hell, according to the word of God. Number two, I think she's a picture of that believer who is laboring under a heavy burden. 
Many of the God's children, many of you who are children of God, you know you're saved, but you're discouraged and you're defeated. You've tried everything in your power to get better. You've tried everything you know to handle your problems. You've tried everything you know how to do. Read books, listen to different preachers, get advice from the best sources. But at the end of the day, when it's quiet and no one's around, it's just you and your thoughts, you know you're not better. Your life is just as messed up as it ever has been. Well, listen, listen to me now. If that's you today, keep on listening. Because we want to watch what this poor woman did to get the help she needs. And we're going to find out about the help we need as well. Point number two, verses 27 and 28, is the hope embraced. The hope embraced. Somewhere from some source, this poor woman heard about Jesus. Maybe she'd heard how he'd healed the leper in Mark chapter 1. Or maybe she'd heard about the wild man who just that went down just before this is written, earlier in chapter 5. You know, maybe some other poor soul who lived on the fringes of society due to uncleanliness of some kind had been healed by Jesus and came in and told her about him. No doubt, cannot be questioned, she had heard about there was power in the touch of Jesus Christ. But she didn't want him to touch her. She wanted to touch him. Perhaps she had heard Jesus from another that had touched his garment and been healed. That's in Luke 6, 19. Maybe she heard that story. Regardless of where she heard about him, she knew she had to get to him. She had to come to realize that Jesus was her only hope. She believed with all of her heart that she could just get to him, she would be healed. Oh, man, she had to be determined because she demonstrated great courage by approaching Jesus in that crowd. I don't know if, it, if you've connected the dots yet. But as she elbowed her way through that people, as weak as she was, she was causing ceremonial defilement for everyone she touched had she been recognized. She was taking her life into her own hands because it would have not taken much to get that crowd riled up and they probably would have worked up, got worked up and stoned her to death. She didn't care. For her, it was a risk worth taking. For her, it was now or never. She knew that Jesus would do for her if she could just get to him. She had this determination because of the very nature of her disease. It would have taken all the energy she had to drag herself out of bed and get to that crowd to try to get to Jesus. This is a portrait of a desperate person. I don't know what your story is but I hear a lot of them that match mine, where when you reach that place in your life where you are desperate for Jesus, it'll change everything. Have you reached that place? Have you come to understand that Jesus is the only hope you have? Look, if you're in this building lost today, you need to get to Jesus. He is the only source of salvation for you. If you've never trusted him for salvation, then you need to come to him today. Jesus is our only hope. You need to touch him by faith. Others who are saved, but like this woman, are burdened and defeated, you need to touch him as well. The sooner you come to realize that Jesus is the only person who can help you, the sooner you will get the help you need. I have three scriptures I want to put on the screen to show you what I'm talking about here. Let's start with Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. 
Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. You want an invitation? There's an invitation. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And finally, 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. That's what's going to happen at the end of the service. There's a couple people that we know of that want to be anointed by oil, but there's maybe others that have a healing that they want. It'll be open for you as well. And those of you who need to reach out and touch Jesus again because you want something, you want, you want, you want to find salvation, you've never really been saved, this is going to be for you. And for anyone who's defeated and needs to really just get those, that bellows blowing back on the, on the embers of what's going on in your heart with Jesus, this front will be open for you. Why should you carry that burden one more step? Why should you fight your battle even for one more minute? Why should you live defeated for another day? You don't have to. You get to Jesus and he can and will help you. Let's bring it home through point number three today. The healing that was actually received. Verses 29 through 34 of our text today. Oh, it's powerful. It's powerful. When she was near enough to him, she reached out with a trembling hand and touched his garment. The word touched there means to cling to or adhere to. In other words, she held on to him until she got what she came for, and it might have only been a brief second. Then she immediately, in that instant, she received what none of the doctors or their costly, painful, stupid remedies could give her. She was healed. Instantly, she felt the change in her body. She knew she was a different woman. Man, that is so personal. This woman touches him. Jesus knows what's happened. And just for the record, he, he, knew, he knew what had happened before it happened. But he knew that virtue had gone out of, him, out of him. And the word that means power, we get our modern words dynamite and dynamic from it. Jesus knows what has happened and he asked the question in verse 30, who touched my clothes? Of course, there were dozens of people touching him and bumping him into him that day. And this is fact that's pointed out in verse 31 of your text. He, you know, he was touched by, different, but it was touched, accompanied by faith. The disciples were like, everybody's all around you. How do we know? Jesus knew. Don't miss this. Many touched him, but only one touched him with the fist, the grip of faith. When Jesus spoke to this woman, you will notice that she fell before him in fear. Jesus was not interested in humiliating her. He was not interested in driving her away from his presence. He wasn't going to try to give her a sermon about the law. He wanted to help her with her problem. That's the Jesus we serve. That's who we come to worship on Sunday. Jesus got the response from her he wanted and anticipated. She came before him, bowed at his feet, and confessed everything to him. Again, this was a public acknowledgement of what had happened in her heart. She was different, and she wasn't ashamed to tell others about it. She was healed, and her life would never be the same again. Her battle with this awful condition was forever finished. 
She received a brand new life from the hand of the master. Just like those women, just like that woman, all those who come to Jesus get far more than we ever bargained for. They will come to Jesus Christ, many people, for deliverance from the penalty of sin and from the wrath of God. But when a person exercises faith in Jesus and is saved, they discover they got far more than just a fire insurance policy. I'm going to give you nine things. I'm going to give them to you twice. Okay? I'm going to say them twice. I don't want to go too fast. They're not on the screen, and I have scriptures to back up every one of these. And the 1210 scripture dig tomorrow, I'll go through them all with you. It's hard for me to make claims about God without backing it up with Scripture, but understand I have, I have the Scripture to back it up. Here's the nine things in no particular order. You get more than a fire insurance policy when you come to know Jesus Christ. You discover that you are now a child of God. You discover that you are now promised a home in heaven. You discover that you are now heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. You discover that the direction and desires of life have now changed. You discover that you are now free from the power of sin to control and dominate you. You discover that you are no longer enemies with God, but you have been reconciled to him. You discover that all this took place by grace through faith and it didn't cost a dime. And you discover that your efforts to avoid condemnation and hell it's all done. It's over. It's ended. And you will discover that you have been fully and finally forgiven of every sin and transgression. For posterity, I'll hit you with those one more time. You will discover that you are now a children of God. You will discover that you are promised a home in heaven. You will discover that you are an heir to God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You will discover that the direction and desires of your life have all changed. The reason I don't go hang out at the bar anymore is because I don't want to. You discover that you're free from the power of sin to control and dominate you. Yes, you will still stumble in sin. We all do. But it won't dominate you. You will discover that you are no longer enemies with God. But you've been reconciled to him. You will discover that all this took place by grace through faith and it didn't cost you a dime. And you will soon discover that all of your efforts to avoid condemnation in hell have now forever ended. You don't have to add anything to it. Out of good old-fashioned gratitude, we serve the Lord when those of us know that we've been healed and restored from a sinful world. And then we discover that we've been fully and finally forgiven of every sin and transgression. The believer has every confirmation from the word of God and from the circumstances of life to ensure them that they have done the right thing in trusting Jesus for their soul's salvation. This is why it's so sad when people want to celebrate their doubts. We all doubt from time to time, which is why we go back to his word in those nine things I just shared with you. Look, Maybe you're saved, but your life is anything but whole today. Why don't you come to Jesus and, and reach out and grab on? He will help you with the trials you're facing today. 
If something is missing in your walk with the Lord, today would be a good time. Days are getting darker. Many of us say the days are getting shorter. Do you need to touch him today? Have you come to understand that whether you are lost in sin or whether you are battling difficulty, Jesus is your answer? If you've reached the place where all other remedies have failed, all other means have exhausted themselves, and you need help right now, I will invite you to come to Jesus. I invite you to come down when the people come down. And I invite you to publicly confess that you need something better than what you've been doing. You know, in that crowd that day, there were dozens of people with physical, spiritual, and emotional needs, but only one lady got any help. Dozens touched Jesus, but only one was transformed. Why? Because she was the only one that saw him as the source. She believed he could help her and did whatever she had to do to touch him. And when she touched him, she was made whole. Don't be one of those people who brush up against Jesus and then leave unchanged. If you have never been introduced to Jesus, we'd love to do that. If you need help, look to him. He has power to change your situation. And it might not change your circumstances at all. But is not our situation us? In the middle of it all, whatever it is, when you reach out and grab onto Jesus' cloak in faith, it is well with you. The front is open. I'm going to ask the elders to come forward now. And I'm going to ask anyone else who would like to come forward for anointing with oil to come forward first. And we're going to set up right up here. And this is for any who desire revival and healing. Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of my husband, Chris Danielson. BibleIdiots.com is still the website for this show, but we have grown. The new parent ministry is found at FreshRoadMedia.com. We would love to have you join us on our sister broadcast, a talk show that walks out Christian living and Bible apologetics entitled No Apology with Emily and Chris, a weekly download from FreshRoadMedia.com. Both broadcasts are listener-supported, and we would love to have you join us as the Lord leads. I'm Emily Danielson, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today, and may you see the blessings of the Lord as you go and serve your King.